We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here. Out Now is a film podcast, which, as Abe and I normally discuss in new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this week is one of our fun commentary episodes. I feel like we haven't done this in a while because we did all our our big horror bonus episodes uh, back in in October. So we like we missed out like on doing a commentary for that month, even though we had a lot of fun with those. But we are back. We have the our commentary now, and we are talking what else. 1996 sci-fi summer spectacle, the the arrival. Not to be confused with this year's arrival. We're going back 20 years to the arrival, starring the one and only Charlie Sheen. And to discuss the arrival, we have from Forbes. He puts the Z in Zeminski. It's Scott Mendelson. If there was a betting pool for the out now commentaries, and you bet the arrival, wow, would you be rich right now? <laughs> Also joining us from Wife's the Blue and the Colt Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he's a real young gun. It's Brandon Peters. There were Easter eggs, Scott. We had we had teased the arrival for uh, two <laughs> years now, I think. It was all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> it's uh, it's finally happening, guys. We're finally going to be talking about the arrival. We yeah. made it. For those of you who have never heard of the arrival. <laughs> <laughs> this is most this is most certainly a movie uh that's we will uh this this means we will get to my fellow americans right <laughs> wow <Fight. laughs> my, fellow... Yo, my wife loves that movie i'm person on that one that's a movie i've seen on hbo multiple times <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely the way i describe it oh yeah my fellow americans i've seen that on hbo multiple times <laughs> that was back you know it came out same year 1996 and this was back when i saw basically everything i was 16 years old and even that was a movie where I thought to myself, 16-year-old, yeah, that was a waste of time. I really didn't need to see that. It was the grumpy old men phenomenon. I mean, Lemon yes. and Mathow, it was like, oh, was, this is like the next one. Lemon was busy. Wait, wait, Mathow was, Mathow was busy. Was busy. Sorry. Sorry. Like, oh, the- old Garner's going to come in. and Yeah, James, the next best thing. Rile it up. Coburn. Oh, he's busy. Let's get Garner instead. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's so guys this is what we're doing we're going to be talking about the arrival the charlie sheen classic as i've told you um and for those of you not familiar for commentaries basically brandon scott and i we all have the movie uh currently paused and we're going to all press play at the same time eventually and start just talking over the movie as it's playing obviously we'll have it muted so you guys can hear us and not the movie because that would both be not helpful and illegal we're going to be talking all kinds of things about this film and you can just sit, if you're watching the movie and listening to this, you can just sit back and enjoy. If not, if you're just driving on to work or whatever, enjoy us talking about this Charlie Sheen movie for the next couple hours and uh, thank us later. But yeah, just listen, uh, don't watch while you're driving to work, please. Yeah, that yeah, the, combining all of those things, not a good idea. Unless you have like one of those minivans that has movies that play in the back and you're like, I'm sick of watching Disney movies in the back seat. I'm going to watch this Charlie Sheen sci-fi movie instead. Then go for it, I, by all means. Um, but yeah, so currently, Scott, Brandon, and I, we all have the movie paused at 11 seconds in. And so I'm going to count down uh, from three, two, one, go. And on the sound of go, we're going to press play and start this one up. All right. So I'm going to count down now. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Oh, so, oh, oh, Ryan. <laughs> so as I, I noted to you guys before we started this, 
in my Blu-ray copy of this movie and your guys' streaming version, apparently, in addition to the old Orion logo, which is now defunct, I believe, um, they've inserted the Lionsgate logo after it, like the modern one. Or at least it was one. always there, you know? As if it was, it has like even color grading on it to make it look like it was always a part of this, which I think is kind of funny. It was always there. Which they I would have been that. better to put the old Lionsgate logo that was also, um, yeah. also cosmic in, in nature. They like fade the Orion and then fade in the Lionsgate. Old Lionsgate. Look at this, perf- look at this perfectly '90s opening. Right. Oh, the title the screen is oh title. yeah. I think Pitch Black is kind of like this too, from David. Tilly. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, three of his six movies are Riddick films. <laughs> yes. And this is... Well, this could be uh, in the uh, same universe. You know. I, yeah, I'd like to assume that the, the Arrival oh. universe and the Riddick universe overlap with each other. Since we don't go to Earth. We don't go to Earth in well, Riddick this is, all, this could so. be in the past, you know? It's, it's just, I know, yeah. It, this leads up she's to... She's got the, the glasses. Have... She's got the Riddick glasses. Maybe it's an ancestor. There we go. I like okay. to think that. This is Lindsay Krauss. Who I know from House of Games, the David Mamet movie. Because she was married to David Mamet for a while, too. We need to really. Even the the title definitely, this looks like Pitch Black completely. (laughs) That title right there, the arrival. We need to find a way to get a perfect getaway in Below into this universe as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oof, they're in the universe. This is a cool opening shot, though. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have Lindsay Krause, uh, like, picking up random plants. Like, where is she? And it zooms out. And he's in Antarctica or the North Pole. One of those, I guess, is the North Pole in this scenario. Earth. 20 years later, that's probably normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's the thing. Good match cut right there, too. Oh, yeah. Going from Earth to the to GoldenEye. Um, know, when I was, you know. I, I was watching that, you know, I, I, I like to watch these prepare or like to you know brush up if it's something i haven't seen in a while and i and i had this realization i'm like man in the 90s we were obsessed with big satellite dishes oh yeah we had golden eye contact yes cable guy cable course. guy yeah contact put visual. it on the poster man they're like hey look we got one of those they are good visual i agree yeah Rewatching this movie, my main takeaway was this movie's a lot more like Sheen than I remembered. Like I, I for some reason thought that Charlie Sheen was being a little bit more like reserved in this movie. That was my memory of it. But no, he's completely Charlie Sheen in this movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love here is like, you know, this is the origin of uh, like Richard Schiff would take his goatee and glasses and use it for the rest of his career after this movie. Oh, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of great like facial hair reversals. Ron Silver's clean shaven. Yes. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I miss him. It, it only it only makes sense because right, yeah, you know, R.I.P. Ron Silver. It only makes sense because later on we see like the south of the border version of Ron Silver, so it's like he needs to have facial hair. And I'll I'll give this movie credit. They they really make Charlie Sheen look like just some normal person. Like really, like he doesn't look like a movie star trying to be a normal person. Like he looks legit. Like the the, the outfits it, he wears, and then just he just doesn't look. It's buzz cut, the goatee, just, no, it's... My, uh, my lovely girlfriend, when we were watching, she watched, like, the beginning of this movie, we, she was happy to point out that that's some 90s hair he has there with, the like, the gel to spike it up, that kind of thing going on. It's, but yeah, he, he does, he, he does look like a normal guy. Richard Schiff always looks so sad and morose and, and what have you when he's clean-shaven, but he looks so friggin' dignified and awesome with a beard. 
Exactly. He's he's more he's more intimidating and like you feel like yeah. he he's he's an important <laughs> person in the room when he has a beard. But here in like Lost World, he's like, oh, why is he here? Did his wife die? It's sad. <laughs> I still can't believe they killed him off in Man of Steel. Did they kill him off, or did he just go to the well, zero dimension? Are they ever going to go back to that? Zack Snyder has years of Superman stories to tell, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I even said, you know, right up to last March, I was like, look, if Batman v Superman opens with them, you know, with Chris Maloney and Richard Schiff being pulled out of the Phantom Zone, 10% higher grade. Right in the game. <laughs> uh. Hello, hey, gentlemen. Join, joining us now, we have from the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, they call him Wild Thing. It's Colin Bricker. It's, a, it's an honor to be here for a movie I've not watched in decades and almost completely forgot existed. Thank you for having me. For sure. Glad to have you back here. We are uh, we are five minutes and 16, 17, 18 seconds. We, we've, been, okay. we've been talking about how um, Charlie Sheen and Richard Schiff have used the face swap app on their iPhones for this uh-huh. movie. <laughs> There's a lot of like excitement right now between them of like they're they're using their like wheelie chairs to roll around the room because that's what David mm-hmm. Tui is using as a cinematic device to show excitement. <laughs> <laughs> well, what could be more exciting than that? Well, they found a stray sound <laughs> that's uh, based off where they're pointing the satellite, and so it, they're assuming that means aliens. And they're howling. Sure. They just howled. Well, we also get Latino Ron Silver later in this movie, too. I forgot. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, they, yep. they needed him to be clean-shaven in America because then you can put a mustache on him later on. Right. It would also be too confusing to have two different bearded <laughs> Ron Silvers. <laughs> so I guess we should point out, I know I do, I like this movie. Yep. I, I think, the, I think yes. this movie's very clever. I think it's well-written. Um, it's not the most showy, but it doesn't really require that. But it, it's... It is very much like, you know, Arrival from this past week as far as what it's trying to do, although less of an action-y film compared to this one, even though this one's not really action-y either. It really carries through on what it's trying to do with having an, an alien invasion, quote-unquote, so to speak. This was more like, this is very Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm-hmm. driven. Mm-hmm. But goes. even that, even the various versions of that movie, which there are four so far, um, (laughs) they they all have, like, action elements in them. This one is more stripped down. Obviously, it's just kind of... And, Scott, you talk about this a lot. It's it's more of ripping off of the idea than remaking it. Um, Yes. But it it works. (laughs) Uh, There's Ron Silver. (laughs) It helps that Ron Silver is, A, very good in this film, and it helps that he's the one, if I recall delivering the huge chunks of exposition oh yeah, yeah. later on because you know I, I again you know I, I i i've always loved listening to him talk um and you know we've mentioned the west wing a couple times you know he's the only reason that the bartlett exposes ms plot didn't just completely kill the show in its third season because he was the the was he the yeah he was the campaign advisor in, in the in the third season it was just him giving his reams and him and Oliver Platt just delivering reams and reams and reams of expository dialogue and because it's them doing it it was incredibly entertaining. Oliver Platt delivering expository dialogue is part of 2012's magic. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know him and 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 Chiwetel Ejiofor are the reason I like that movie a lot. I can't wait for our two part commentary on 2012. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> 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 Uh, I was I like uh, Ron Silver and a couple of his bad guys. I liked him in uh, Blue Steel time cop. and Time yes. Cop. Yeah, and Time Cop. 
Time Cop's the main movie I think of when I think of Ron Silver. Uh, for me, it's Blue Steel. Although yeah. I, mean, I like Time Cop as much as the next nerd. I just that, I don't. That was the first time I had seen him when I was old enough that oh, who is that guy? He's interesting. That would be. I'm surprised there's not like a. I'm waiting for like the the Shout Factory select version of Blue Steel to come out so I can there's see that. A, movie. I, have yeah. a, I have a German uh, import of it. Pretty good, but I mean, someone needs to put it out. I mean, come on. Speaking of German imports, I re- I found out there's a German DVD of this movie that has like a commentary track on it, and I'd love to hear what David Tui has to say about this whole thing. It's still in German though, so that's the that's the trick. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem. This was kind of rival. This was kind of in a the nineties was a, like he got a lot of work, but it was kind of like what are we gonna do with Charlie Sheen? Like you know he had the like <laughs> yeah he had so many different roles. I mean. I know the Hot Shots. I mean, I think he was great in the Hot Shots. He sells comedy like really well. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to like they put him in like the Chase and like Terminal Velocity. And then this is well, a it's one, like, this is a really like, different one for him too. I mean, it is. And what I like about this version of Charlie Sheen, not today's version of Charlie Sheen, is that mm-hmm. he's he's basically he's taking like a lot of like what a B grade version of Tom Cruise would be. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, Tom yeah. Cruise yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't embrace, you know, the action movies until, you know, now, until like, after, you know, 2000 and beyond. Here, it's like, these are the movies that Tom Cruise could do if he just wanted to settle for, you know, more action-y fare and stuff like that. Like, it, it or even stuff like this, which is, you know, genre fare, essentially. Yeah. Like, he's not oh. getting the, you know, the John Grisham books and, like, and a lot of smarter things compared to with this is one of the oh. few exceptions. He's getting more, like, pulpy stuff. Well, that's why he was in the scary movie as uh, the Tom Cruise analog mm-hmm. from uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah. And he also, and he, because he embraces the comedic side, which Tom Cruise rarely does. Even something like yeah. Terminal Velocity, you know, it's a violent action thriller, but th- there's a certain knowing wit to that film. Yeah, there's like Certainly a he, and drop zone. Yes, yes. Yeah. And like, and Charlie Sheen has this kind of. At this point, there's something of an everyman quality to how he plays his parts, and yeah. you know, in the '90s, even oh, in the '80s yeah. to an extent. Is it? I mean, is, Emilio uh, was fading. Yeah. Charlie kept <laughs> going, and our favorite Joe. I can't remember what he was doing at this time, but Joe Estevez was. <laughs> he was. Uh, I was gonna say he was doing werewolf, probably. Oh, okay, this time, probably. Right? Yeah, probably around there. Oh. <laughs> and they have a sister too, but. Only thing I know her from is uh, Sleepaway Camp Two. That's about. Here's the other thing I noticed when rewatching this movie: Charlie Sheen does everything he can to get his shirt off. Yeah. A lot. And and, he, <laughs> and 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 what's neat about it is that it's not because he's like super ripped. It's just because he apparently just shaved his chest constantly and is like, I need to keep showing this off because like that's all I seem to notice about him. You with As, the <laughs> you with the spritzer bottle, get over here. I got my shirt off. <laughs> Terry. There's. Like, there's at least four scenes of him with his like because he <laughs> with his shirt off where he's like glistening for some reason like yeah. he has he's like <laughs> covered in some kind of like form of sweat. <laughs> Terry, Polo, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> Sheen out of water. Sheen out of water. <laughs> There's a lot of West Wing people in this movie. Um, because she was you know I've. Uh, uh, Jimmy Smith's wife in the last two years. Yeah, before becoming Mrs. Fokker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think they were like, oh, crap, shoot. you were, uh, you sure. were an arrival? Yeah. You're hired. <laughs> After <laughs> being Mrs. Uh, Fokker, actually. Um, 
Oh yeah, the West Wing kept going. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I, well, they, they didn't get married until Meet the Fockers, so it could be after. <laughs> the so there. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, it was right around the exact same time, give or take. Um, but no, Charlie Sheen had an had an interesting run where he was sort of an attempted leading man from around. Mm, I want to say 93-ish. Well, 91. Let's say Hot Shots. 80, well, I keep going back and back. You know, uh, right up around 97 with the, with the uh, Shadow Conspiracy, which just made like six bucks against the opening weekend of the Star Wars special edition. Shadow Conspiracy. <laughs> wow. That was pretty much... I mean, I can look at his filmography offhand, but that was pretty much the last time I saw him regularly getting, you know, leading roles of that nature. Um... Yeah, Money Talks in 97, and that was about mm-hmm. it. I mean, he did, he did, he, yeah, for six years, he does nothing other than a cameo in Being John Malkovich and then uh, Scary Movie 3. Now, I assume that was the same time he was doing uh, Two and a Half Men. Um, but yeah, so he had a run as a, you know, a would-be B-C grade leading man eh, for about 12 years or 10 years. From you know Wall Street to uh, yeah Shadow Conspiracy that was it. Um, and none of these films did all that well except for the Hot Shots movies. Um, but because he's like a hunky Leslie Nielsen because he plays like comedy very straight and that's what makes oh. him funny. Well, yeah, that 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 was the Zucker Brothers' secret. They used serious actors. But I guess the difference, you know, someone like Charlie Sheen and Leslie Nielsen is they were sort of in on the joke. Yeah. As yes, opposed to, yes. you know, theoretically, someone like, they, you know. They, well, they weren't, like, winking. They just, they knew how to play it. Exactly. Was, yeah. They were aware that, you know, they had a certain Adam West talent. Um, yes, yes. And and I, I love the Three Musketeers. I, I still will defend that movie into death. Um, <laughs> and that was, you know, the three of them all... You know, found much more success on television than they did in film. Yeah. You know, it was Keith Sutherland, Oliver Platt, and uh, Sheen. And O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> can throw that um, in. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever seen Oliver Platt in anything. Well, offhand. I mean, I... I um. So for you Scott Mendelson trivia buffs out there... <laughs> But the uh, real Three Musketeers were on the soundtrack. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that song's fine. <laughs> if it just wasn't played every 15 minutes on the radio that year, then yes, it would have been fine. Well, that's every song of that, you know, every one of those songs of that era. Um. Hmm. Weird glasses. Well, they're really uh, not being shy about the old climate change, you know, stuff in this film. No. Oh. And we're still arguing about it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, maybe this movie had been a bigger hit. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I just, I, we were talking earlier, and I, uh, I remember this movie. I you know, I had no interest in seeing it until I, I watched. I think, believe you know, Oprah had her like annual episode where she brought Siskel and Ebert on, 
And they, they praised this to high heavens that this was the best movie of the summer. And people and I was like, what? And I saw it and I was like, it was good. I don't think it was the best movie of the summer for me. But I was surprised and I, I wouldn't have probably looked at it. I maybe would have rented it, but oh. it was a surprising pick. Hmm. I had a thought, but I lost it. <laughs> um, you know, with still... uh, oh, go ahead. With, uh, with, with Charlie Sheen having the goatee, he looks like a in shape Danny McBride. <laughs> Little bit yeah. got the buzz cut in the hair. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. He just looks so like they killed him looking just normal on this. I mean, he doesn't. Just with especially with the glasses. I mean, he looks just genuine. Like the he's got you know baggy. Just none of his clothes are even like remotely trying to take some sort of spin of style on them, or were just long enough removed that it's like that was in. But I don't even think who Scott was in. Well, he's uh, what's his profession here? He's um, a he's guy a, that was. Listens... He's a satellite installer right now. He's out of work. But... Yeah. Well, yeah, they're not the pinnacle of fashion, so it makes yeah. sense that he wears these kind of clothes. Yeah, I mean, usually, though, especially, like, in the 90s, they try to spin it a little mm-hmm. bit. And okay. then when they got to Jeff Goldblum and Independence Day, they just said, F it. Let's just <laughs> do whatever we want. He's hunky. He's the hunky scientist. So this film came out in... Late May, the last weekend in May of 1996, which was the weekend after Memorial Day. It opened against such films as uh, Dragonheart, which I enjoy. Yes. That was my introduction to David Thewlis. Um, Eddie, <laughs> that was the Whoopi Goldberg coaches a basketball team movie. And uh, that was basically it. Uh, it opened with. $4.8 million, which even back then was terrible. It spedaddled out to about 14 and change. And that was pretty much the last anyone ever really saw of it for all intents and purposes. I mean, and, you know, it jokes aside of us, us doing a commentary for it, it really is not a cult movie in any real sort. You know, it's, it's, it's basically been forgotten. It's a, it's a, when you sign up for streaming services, it's a free pick. That's what it yeah. Is. Have you guys been talking the whole time? Yes. Yeah. Like, are we still watching the movie? Yeah. Okay. Because I got just shut down for some reason right there. That was weird. <laughs> we're at all right. We're at 1908 right now. Okay. Because right. I paused yeah. it because I didn't. I wasn't sure if the he is beating the the payphone thingy. Good thing I already yeah. watched this movie, or else I'd be completely lost. <laughs> Where are we at? Uh, now at uh, 1925. Okay. Six seven. Okay, I'm good. So Richard Schiff is talking. Cool. I'm back. <laughs> so we're talking about the lack of success this movie had, apparently. And uh, who all saw Eddie? Come on, admit it. I saw Eddie in theaters. I, 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 I remember I, when, when Whoopi home Goldberg home video. Jay- I saw it on Whoopi- home video. I, I remember when Whoopi Goldberg tells James Coburn to go go back home on that hor- on the fucking horse he came in on. <laughs> it was a PG-13 movie. It's like, wow, that was a big moment for Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> When Whoopi Goldberg stars in a movie about coaching basketball, you you go to that stuff. You go see that shit. That's what you. I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing missing was a talking dinosaur. If it had that, <laughs> I would have been in. If only there was a dance to go along with that, too. And a song. <laughs> if if only. Well, she met Frank Langella on that film, and they got married. Um, If Whoa. I recall. <laughs> um, I don't know if they're still married or not, but... Dude, Whoopi Goldberg and Frank, or the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not the dinosaur. Hi, Frank. Skeleton. This is my husband, Dinosaur. <laughs> um, His name's Theodore. Who, Whoopi Goldberg, though, to Frank Langella? Mm-hmm. I don't see that here. And Terry Polo is really going for the Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah. In this movie. Oh, so I missed the whole scene of Charlie Sheen going to the uh, the the meeting, right, and uh, or interrupting the the lecture. Yes. Or did that happen? Yes. Okay, because that that's a fun scene where <laughs> he gets on stage and grabs the microphone, calls everyone out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a slice of modern day Charlie Sheen. Here's '90s guy. The look at this guy with the yes. suit right here. <laughs> he does the important he looks- work. He looks like like Justin Long's professional older brother, Jonathan Long. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that guy had a suit on. Like yeah. <laughs> he's like buttoned yeah. up deck. I was like, like when you see at work <laughs> when you see old episodes of Friends and like Chandler or Ross that are in a suit and they're just like four sizes too big. It's like wow, that's uh, what yeah. it looks so awkward now. But that was what that's we were. They never knew what Matthew Perry was gonna was gonna weigh in any given week. that's not that's not a slam matthew perry he also didn't know what he was going to weigh in a given week no i I, absolutely could i lose any more weight (laughs) (laughs) so interestingly as this tangent i need to keep going goes franklin gella's wikipedia page does say whoopi goldberg partner from 1996 to 2001 whoopi Whoopi goldberg's page does not say anything of the sort Well, someone needs to fix that. Yeah, I know. This is, this is... They need to know the truth about Whoopi Goldberg and Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> it it is in the personal life section of Whoopi Goldberg, but not in the like quick oh, information oh. section. Well, that that's fair. It doesn't have to be. Uh... Well, just like Nate Nate Parker's Wikipedia page, it was always there if you knew where to look. <laughs> now he gets uh, this uh, brilliant idea to like. Start using the satellites of all his neighbors, which I think is pretty clever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, angle it's a neat little movie. montage we get right here, and a detail that a does lot of sheen. Away. That's all I gotta say. Is like a, a Charlie highlight reel. The detail too is that like on the on his like jacket, he has like different name tags for every person he meets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when someone comes by and it's like, "Hey, did someone adjust your uh, dish?" It's like, "Yeah, his name was uh, Gort." Like, what? That's not a name. <laughs> But someone adjusted my dish. It was Clatu. <laughs> How long do you warning me about nuclear weapons and stuff? Yeah. Ah, it's a whole thing. I think he just grabbed a rice cooker to help him with satellites. How much time do you think Martin Sheen spent on the set of this movie? Martin Sheen? Yeah. I would he walked in. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, kid, that's good." And he left. Well, I've, I've heard he's he's <laughs> he's had to stick around on sets of Charlie's movies to keep him from leaving and. Fair enough. Put him in his place that. a lot of times, yeah. Well, again, I'd like to hear more of... I'd like to hear that David Dewey commentary to know if there's anything. But I mean, 
this movie, like, it seems so kind of thought out that I, I'm just, I'm very, I, I wish I knew more information about it to know, like, what the production was like on this thing. And then, it, like, <laughs> science stuff. Even, well, because even with, in regards to, like, some of the quote-unquote action scenes that happen, they, none of it feels like it's studio-mandated action stuff. It feels organic to the story. There's just one, I mean, all there is is, like, there's a, a moment, one big moment where they just kind of go for it, and it's, and then there's still a lot of movie after it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the whole, like, he finds the aliens. Yeah, that's scene. right, yeah, that's, like, the the big spectacle, which, I mean, the movie, I, it could have even had a smaller version of that, and still well, been, there's like, also, I mean, there's also, like, the bathtub thing, and then he gets in, like, a foot chase on the streets, but it's yeah. like, no, that makes sense, I get, like, you need to build the mystery kind of thing in that Oh, one. he makes a pretty racist comment coming up here. I think he's like tells the kids like shouldn't you be out tagging something, kid? That's not that racist. He's a little he's a teenager. <laughs> that could be ageist. He doesn't need to be black to do that. Like he's just he's just because you're a teenager, you should go be like tagging something. Tag something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this kid being in this movie, but I forgot like who it was. So I was like. When I was revisiting it, I was like, I wonder if I'm good. Like, I, now I get to see who this kid is that I'm trying to think of that I can't. As I was trying to think if it was like a, a younger version of someone that I know now as being older, but it's not. It's some no. random random actor that never went on to Tony anything. Tony T. Johnson. And, this yeah. was, and that was Chitwell Ejiofor. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's Nate Parker fish. all along. <laughs> Full circle alarm. Oh, actually, fun fact, <laughs> circling it back to something else, Tony T. Johnson was in Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg and the Tyrannosaurus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it all paid off, guys. Hey, wait, you're saying you had two movies in one weekend? Yes. That's impressive. <laughs> He's a regular Amy Adams' kid. <laughs> the Arrival and Arrival Connections. Just so you know, this kid streetwise, by the way, his hat is sideways. Here's <laughs> some intense close-up typing, so you know it's important. Man, in addition to lots of big satellites, 1996 was full of summer blockbusters that involved computer geeks. Yeah, it was the beginning. It was the start of the revolution. <laughs> well this uses computers more accurately than hackers at least or apparently where you hack into a computer all these crazy graphics are spinning on the screen yeah that but Colin, nothing <laughs> that's the future colin that's different though that's why it looks that way oh yeah okay you have to so in the, in the future we communicate through spinning graphics well, that's all before the, the the psychic dolphin and Johnny Mnemonic takes over. But yes, that's how we communicate. Uh, okay, okay, fair enough. You win this round, hackers. <laughs> Matthew Lillard strikes again. <laughs> so it's one step ahead of me. Never cross, <laughs> never cross the Lillard. That's right. Liver alone. And there were a lot of computer-based movies. Eraser had computers. Twister had computers. Obviously, Independence Day. I mean, they gave the alien ship a virus through a Macintosh. Mission Impossible. They're constantly emailing each other. Or Job. Then, of course, there was The Net. Oh, yeah, The Net. Oh, my God, of course, The Net. Where they ordered pizza online. 
it's amazing. Dennis Miller's the net. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis Miller got a paycheck. It had everything. It's great. <laughs> Wait, Spy Hard and Mission Impossible came out in the same weekend? Yes, they oh, did. Wow. I wow. was there the weekend for both. Guess which one was more crowded. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of I'm thinking of wrongfully <laughs> accused when it comes to Leslie Nielsen spoofing Mission Impossible, though. Okay. Yes. For a second, I thought it was the same movie that had both of those signature scenes, and I was like, "Wow, how did that happen?" No, it was wrongfully accused. Never mind. <laughs> that said, I did see Spy Hard in theaters opening weekend, and I remember that Weird Al song was like a comedic highlight for me for like at least a week because that song was yeah. hilarious. Then there was the rest of the movie that did not live up to those like two and a half minutes, unfortunately. It's got his moments. I mean, Leslie Nielsen yeah, gets, no, to a, get, he gets on a bus with Ray Charles driving as the bus driver. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> now, there are moments, but I think the peak is still the opening scene, unfortunately. The opening musical number. <laughs> because he has that big, long like uh, long vocal at the end, and then his head explodes. It's like that's... <laughs> <laughs> Looking at these two guys, it makes me think of Midnight Special with like Bill Camp and the other guy is like oh, the yeah. random guys that are going after Alden. Oh. Speaking of great sci-fi movies of 2016, by the way, Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeff Nichols had a pretty good year. Yeah. <laughs> combined box office of twenty dollars. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, we're speaking over the untimely death of Richard Schiff. He's about to get. He's about to get the shift. He doesn't even get yeah. the respect that Spielberg gives him in the Lost World by ripping him apart very graphically. We just see him react violently to the situation, or react sadly. It's. I'm guessing a Freddy Krueger mask, although <laughs> although it might not be. Or it's the worst Michael Myers mask yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> When they bought it, it said, like, like uh, burnt psychopath. That was the description. They couldn't get the Elm Street right, so it was like, burnt psychopath. It's scarred child molester. <laughs> oh, man. July 19th was awesome. Fled, The Frighteners, Kazam, and Multiplicity. Jackpot. <laughs> Multiple is an excellent movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That one is the Frighteners. The Frighteners is great. It is. It's, it's entertaining. <laughs> I'm not backing down. The Frighteners is a great movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it because I laugh a little. I like the movie. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. F1. All right. That's that's what he just pressed. He's in serious mode now because he flipped his hat to the back. <laughs> He's Let me over fit. the top. Let me let me adjust this science while you hit F one. Mm-hmm. But so I, I mean, I feel like we can talk spoilers on the arrival. But are we supposed to assume that the kid? For you guys that remember, by the way, <laughs> since some of us haven't seen this in a while, are we supposed to assume that he's been an alien the whole time, the kid? Uh, I want to no. say that. I feel like it makes it a better movie if if he is. Yeah. Also, uh, we missed uh, him saying that he has a big one. I just want to point that out. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. They, I, just, I mean, I, I feel like the swap probably happens sometime when they get to the desert. Well, yeah, because there, well, there is a big portion of Charlie Sheen in Mexico where it could have happened at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Because like they come in, they do the vacuum cleaner sphere thing and suck up all the stuff. There probably could have been a point where they take the kid and replicate him or something. <laughs> 
but yes, I agree. Explain why he never sees parents. Yes, that's true. He just the kid just kind of literally drops out of nowhere onto Charlie Sheen, but uh, it's a it's a curiosity, right? I mean, the yeah, this kid pops out of nowhere, and I guess it helps for rewatchability of the film if you try to think about that with him as an alien the whole time as he's trying to understand things. A, a lot of the uh, Arrival fan fiction follows that that theory. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean that one that was written? Well, the comic spinoff um, really kind of covered it. They did a little bit of a prequel. Um, you know. Oh, guys, I was wrong. July 19th was one weekend, but July 26th gave us A Time to Kill, Kingpin, Joe's Apartment, and The Adventures of Pinocchio starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Martin Lando. Oh. So uh, the, so the now, greatest opening weekend ever. Hey, yeah. n- now close your eyes. Imagine that opening weekend was what? the arrival starring charlie sheen directed by david (laughs) yes he's got no strings and i hope he walks downstairs (laughs) (laughs) we used to scott when we were testing we used to we always always run but the mcconaughey speech with people so, uh, that was like a, a running joke for some reason. <laughs> what is that car he drives? It's a shooting mobile. It's made special <laughs> for the movie. Yeah. Okay. It's made out of compressed porn stars. <laughs> Jeez. Part of what I like about the the work on the work that Sheen's doing is that he does start normal and he just kind of he, he's a lot like uh, Nick Cage in Knowing. Where he just ramps up being frustrated and crazy all at once throughout the movie <laughs> as it goes along. Now, now so the sh- keep... shift, he like, we assume just like he's dead, but when he leaves the ambulance, we assume they're he's somewhat alive, but then he just doesn't appear in this movie for a long time, and I think they make a drop a line that he's dead, right? I think he's just bra- he's brain dead, if anything. They, I, yeah, okay. mm-hmm. they did something to him. August 2nd was pretty good, too. Chain Reaction, Matilda, and Fat Beach. Fat Beach. Directed by Doug Ellen of Entourage fame. Is it like the chubby version of the Bikini Car Wash Company? (laughs) It has Coolio, I know that. Well, well, that's the mark of excellence, isn't it? (laughs) He's on the poster, give it one of those Coolio looks. She's just like bugging his eyes and his hair is like doing his thing. Yeah. It's not like Buster Rhymes who went on to make respectable films as far as big haired rappers. Been spending most of our lives living in a fat beach paradise. (laughs) Now, did they intentionally, are her and Terry Polo intentionally supposed to mirror each other or was that a happy accident? I think that's a happy accident. Yeah, that was just because later style she's like time. she tries to get in his pants and she's and he's like no, I'm taking. I think I was like, what was he like? You know, thinking of her because she basically has the same haircut and styles. I wonder where you can buy hats here <laughs> in marionettes. Preferably in the same location, of course. This movie's deep. <laughs> this movie's deep. They're trying to say like they're turning people. Of Earth, and they're all puppets. The same I didn't alien know John game. Or- I didn't know John Ortiz's father, Hector Ortiz, was in this movie. Oh. 
Yeah. Those are some Sheen glasses there. I love that that's a precursor to Riddick. It's the precursor. <laughs> yeah, it's the Riddick <laughs> precursor. <laughs> Tui knows what he likes. He like he knows what he likes. And he sticks with it. I forgot how much of this movie's in Mexico, by the way. I forgot like it's a basically lot, all yeah. of this all of the second act is Mexico. Like they go back home for two seconds and they'll they'll be back on the road. But like I, I could remember like key scenes from it, but I didn't remember I didn't remember at all that like he's down here along with her for like the longest time to really research like the, the crux of the movie is mm-hmm. based on what they find here. Aliens, satellite dishes, and conspiracies. You have your perfect 90s movie right here. And Charlie Sheen. And Charlie Sheen, yeah. (laughs) August 16th was no slouch. The Fan, Tin Cup, Alaska, and Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood. Oh, God. I like two of those movies. How all of them didn't make all the money, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I like The Fan. I'm one of eight people, but I, I... That likes The Fan? Yeah. I like a lot of the fan. I think it gets a little ridiculous towards the end, but there's a lot of... It's a Tony Scott film, so by default, yeah. I'm supposed to like it. it but it also, it's just loaded with stars. So, um, I do like this. I like the scene of Robert De Niro and uh, sitting in the steam room with Benicio Del Toro. And it's yes. like it's like before Enemy of the State when he like went over the top of his... like It was the early formation of his over-the-top direction, so like you just see like glimpses of how he goes about killing Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> With like rapid camera edits and stuff. Bordello of Blood, while not a great movie, has a very great uh, retrospective documentary on its Blu-ray. For sure. That's like, it's worth it alone. They put the money on the screen here. They went down to Mexico. They got these shots. They got the nice hotels. Como arigato, mister. <laughs> those, are, those are the big ones. Yep. yep. It's a running theme in the movie. He needs the biggest of satellites. Because if you have the biggest, you're winning. Ugh. Now I'm sad. Oh, there's a little marionette skeleton running across the ground, which will be homaged in Chef a couple years, a few years, <laughs> several years later. <laughs> yes, Chef was heavily influenced by the arrival. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I told you. Well, I mean, if you take a look at you know Charlie Sheen's. Uh, he's got the goatee, uh, Favreau. So yeah. <laughs> he gets fired from his job. And yep. Moves on to a new career. They they both sweat a lot. Well, he goes backwards because you know you know Chef is a restaurant. And then he goes to, you know, back to the, he goes to the food truck. And then here, you know, he was the government, you know, space, whatever guy. And then he goes back to installing satellite dishes. So kind of. They both team, they both team up with precocious children. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Water in Mexico isn't that clean. This movie's ridiculous. I don't buy any of it. He found the one good hotel. He used Yelp. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever decades 90, before it existed as we see the water spot place. on the ceiling that's more, okay I, I believe that it's not that good yeah he's not drinking the water he's just bathing in it which for and some reason seems healthier to me <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> soak your body in the filth rather than drink it oh man August 23rd the island of Dr. Moreau 
Solo with Mario Van Peebles. I remember so. A very Brady sequel, and and a carpool with Tom Arnold. I, I was there I for a very Brady Dr. sequel. Moreau. I saw Carpool in theaters. I saw Island of Doc Moreau also actually. Yeah, I think I saw a very Brady sequel. I never saw Solo though. I remember the I remember the trailer for Solo. I didn't know that hit theaters. <laughs> I think I, I, you know every time I saw like Mario Van Peebles this I just assume straight to video. Yeah, he's had four movies in theaters. I think. <laughs> Jaws the Revenge is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and speaking, speaking of Tom Arnold, the following weekend had the stupids. <laughs> so he was killing it late like August 1996. Also, oh, it had oh. First Kid and the Crow City of Angels. Oh, yay. Ugh. That was a fascinating lesson for me. I never actually saw the second Crow film, but I saw a double feature of something around that era. I mean, if I think about it i may, maybe chain reaction something i don't know whatever um and they both had the trailer to the crow city of angels same footage one trailer had hard heavy metal rock music on the soundtrack the other one had gregorian chanting one and probably sure enough, i had, was far uh, more involved in the one with the gregorian chanting yeah one probably had holes uh cover of gold dust woman that was like that big you would know i would not <laughs> That was oh. the beginning and end of Vincent Perez. Remember, he was gonna oh, take yep. us by storm. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's a big action moment right here. Oh yeah, the... has to leap out of a bathtub before it's too late. I love that zoom on him in the top. Yeah, <laughs> that <was> hilarious. <laughs> well, that's complete '90s right there. Like, Look, how do you he, compete... he, he's wet and shirtless. Yep. No, I believe this would happen in Mexico. All right, <laughs> I, I'm back in the movie now. That woman's sitting in the sink. She also leapt uh, just in time out of the way of a bathtub. <laughs> into the sink. There's or a smash cut right here where Charlie Sheen's like, oh, I got to chase after this guy. Cut to him like bursting out of his door, putting his shoe on. Right there. <laughs> there no time for the shirt. Then, yeah, his running is so like movie running. You know, maybe that woman wasn't in the tub. Maybe she was just using the sink. She was mad at the hotel and taking a dump in the sink and then checking <laughs> exactly. out. He couldn't grab a shirt. I just, it's. I mean, they do communicate. <laughs> it is hot there. Like, they, he makes a point to say that it's very hot this time of year. So, like, Incredible Hulk was inspired by this, right? The Ed Norton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Louis Leterrier constantly watched The Arrival for reference. <laughs> Ang Lee constantly watched The Arrival. <laughs> Ang Lee's a huge Riddick fan. I, I know that for a fact. He loves, especially, <laughs> especially Chronicles of Riddick. He's going to make a Riddick movie shot at 5,000 frames a second. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. You can only see it in the dark, though. You have to have special glasses to watch. Steal. <laughs> eight vomit bags to watch the movie. It'll be at 4D, so you, you get like the full experience and the seats moving and everything like that. Every time Vin Diesel speaks, your seat will Exactly. Vibrate. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the Day of the Dead imagery, even though it makes doesn't really have much of a connection to what's going on here. Right. It's, it's, it's always evocative, which is why you get it. You see it used in movies a lot. I mean, if James Bond can do it, which was also heavily inspired by The Rival, then any movie can. Yep, that's right. <laughs> oh, and here's like a... I mean, we're not technically supposed to... I mean, it's called The Arrival, and they're pointing shit into space, so you know there's aliens involved, but here's our first like reveal of something about the aliens that's going on. Mm-hmm. 
beyond just like curious yeah. looks for people. Here it is with some visual effects help. Yeah. <laughs> Here he goes. So obviously every movie has to have its own unique approach to alien life. So I wonder is that the most effective one where it's like these aliens are different because their knees bend the other direction? They're like the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. Well, it, it's it's one very specific special effect that tells the tale. It's a, obviously the very visual effect. It's something that's disoriented. Mm-hmm. And because it's just yeah. that one effect, it's cheaper. Yeah. You know, you're not creating an entire new life form. You're basically making people that do one very specific thing that people can't do. Like Charlie, you know, for Sheen, example, in the Charlie Sheen's armed with his periscope, by the way. I don't want to because he has a little yes. belt clipboard and everything. All right, go on, Scott. I'm no, sorry. Well, like, for example, you know, Polanski's, you know, the, the, the Ninth Gate, which I don't know how much that movie costs, and it's Polanski, so maybe it's a gajillion dollars. But, you know, all they need to do to suggest something going on is, you know, one shot where the female lead kind of sort of flies down a roof. And, you know, your job's done until almost the end of the movie. Um, super 90s man right here with the headphones and the goatee. He's <laughs> probably listening to Alice in Chains. <laughs> the Naboo Technical Institute down there. <laughs> Let's see. Labor Day weekend of 1996 had Bogus with Whoopi Goldberg once again and Gerard Depardieu. And Bulletproof with Damon Wayans and Adam oh, Sandler. that's right. Six million dollars on opening weekend. <laughs> it's even in 1996, it was terrible. And the next weekend was Jean-Claude Van Damme's Maximum Risk. Maximum. Which yep. the box office with five million dollars. Which might still be... I, I don't think we've had a weekend with a chart topper that low since then. I, I was... Oh, I, I, I had contributed to that five million dollars. <laughs> Didn't um I, like didn't like the whole nine yards set some kind of record like for like a low box office? I thought yeah. didn't Possibly. I thought it was uh didn't Dickie Roberts wasn't that like super low? Well, no. that didn't top it's, anything it's, though, right? Like it. I thought it like had a super low no opening weekend. Six point six, so it's still less than maximum risk. Or okay. More than maximum risk. Okay. And, and yeah, you're right. It was the it was the top. Wow, that was the top movie of that weekend. Wow. Um. Wait. Like, congrats, you're number one, um, but you're not making money at all. You bombed. Maximum number risk one. is the one. Not maximum the risk is the one where JCVD has a twin, right? Like the twin. It's dies one of the many get... he has a twin in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's a. He's he's got a lot of. Them. But that was the the Natasha Henstridge team. That was like one of her first movies after Species. Yes. Was, and yeah. the, that was, of course, Avatar was heavily influenced by Maximum Risk, of course. That's... It was, yeah. Mm, yes, yeah. It was, which in turn, both of them were heavily influenced by this movie. Yes. <laughs> that weekend also had Fly Away Home, Feeling Minnesota, and something called The Rich Man's Wife with Halle Berry and Peter yep. Green and yeah. Clive Owen, Christopher McDonald. I have no idea what this movie is. <laughs> Clive Owen was in stuff before 2000s? I know, Jeez. right? Was he a child? It has a le- for for an obscure movie I just found. It has its 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 critical reception section on Wikipedia is quite lengthy. Fourteen percent. Oh. 
But they really wanted to make sure people knew that by adding a lot of quotes on the Wikipedia page. 14%? For... And you shut down anyway, Rotten Tomatoes. Like anyway, back to, to the preacher's wife. Back, <laughs> back to... Uh... Back to uh, the arrival, we just had the meet cute between Charlie Sheen and Lindsey Krause right. by way of mm. by way of illegally spying on areas. There and it's uh, El Salvador Silver. Yep, there you. <laughs> El Silver. El Silver. Silverado. That's the appropriate reaction whenever you see Ron Silver anywhere. Like, we have to leave. Ron yeah. Silver's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong? Something bad will happen. Ron Silver's in the room. For this movie, the aliens were in, in you know, in make, if you're an alien, you were in makeup for about 13 hours before shooting. Ron Silver, to become uh, Latino, was in makeup for eight hours. Before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is him! Oh, another. Yeah. There's some good match cuts in this movie. Yeah. I'm liking this. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> Tui was going for this. Is like, is this his first first movie, right? Directed. Second, I think he had second one. movie. Yeah. Second movie. Yeah, yeah. The Timescape with Jeff Daniels, <laughs> which I'm sure is another classic. Timescape, Bloodwork, like two favorite Jeff Daniels movies. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by Fly Away Home, which of course opened later this year, of 1996. Okay, so now we're getting our first shot of the the, the weird sphere, which I think is a a really cool idea. I, I, I love that thing. And they designed it just well enough so it doesn't reflect Phantasm too much. So it reminds me of the sphere from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a different yeah. color, Which but it reminds will, uh, me of that. As 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 um, <laughs> James Gunn happily announces all the time, Guardians of the Galaxy was heavily influenced by the Arrival. <laughs> There's many parallels between the two movies. If you look at them, like the the neighbor kid that's actually Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. A lot of parallels between them. The tree next to this guy right now, inspiration for Groot. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> See, like, the, I guess the way you can think of it, Brandon, like, if he wasn't already an alien, it'd be around this scene where he, like, would be abducted, I guess, and turned right. into an alien. Especially because look at the looks on his face and everything. Like, it's... Yeah, know, it's all what, genuine. It's like they didn't tell him till later he would be, or the, just the script yeah. didn't announce it. I can see how that effect works. You shoot that up, so there's probably a pole underneath that to mm-hmm. make it look like it's mm-hmm. rising, right? Because then you get to a side shot like this where it's just cropped out. Yeah. That sweet Robert Browning plaque's going to go bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that of the details he needed to incorporate in his room here, he had to put that plaque up. It's like, yeah, this is my safe space. <laughs> you can't get work done without it. Yeah. I have my rice cooker that helps me move, move satellites around, and I have my, my plaque of quotes that inspires me. <laughs> I hope you save those Radio Shack receipts, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there goes his Alice in Chains CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and his multiple copies of Black Hole Sun. Yes. 
It'd be funny if that yep. bird that just landed with. Yep, there it goes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's going. It goes. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> I, I thought of that too when I was watching the first time. I was like, huh, why that? Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. We have to make sure. <laughs> Penis bush in the background. <laughs> Edward stopped by. They, that, that's why you had. The, that's why you had the bird. They left some. They, while that was, they were waiting for the black hole to to go. They were, you know, clipping lewd things into his shrubberies. And <laughs> man, is he going to be pissed when he gets home? It makes little sense to me why there'd be a feather left beyond obviously the, the cinematic effect of seeing something like that. Uh-huh. But it's like that thing sucks everything out of the room. I don't think there'd be one feather left over. Surprised <laughs> the house is there, but as we see later, they have they come in different sizes depending on the amount of vacuuming they need to do. Yeah, but aliens don't have all day. Like oh, the feather's fine. Let's let's get out of here. It's not gonna help them. This old man is just just all over the place. He just—he tried to assassinate Charlie Sheen via bathtub uh, bomb. <laughs> now he's gonna do the other most likely thing to do when it comes to trying to kill people in their sleep. Yeah, the, uh, the attempt- scorpions. <laughs> he's like the—he's like the guy in a James Bond movie that's like sent to kill James Bond, but like yeah. succeeds. Where he puts yeah, the, the snake or the or tarantula or something in a room. Yes, yeah, pro- Professor Dent in the Dr. Professor no, Dent, is, yeah, that was the which is what mm. my my tarantula that I have is named after that guy in Doctor No, yeah. who gets <laughs> who promptly gets shot seven times by James Bond. <laughs> I get so damn apocalyptic when I drink. That's the best quote of the movie, right there. Well, that and one that Charlie Sheen has when he talks to Ron Silver later on when he comes back from Mexico. But we'll get to that because there's, there's a classic Sheener in that room. <laughs> you know, now you, now that you mentioned that that she and Terry Polo have like the same hair like look, I, mm-hmm. I am wondering now if that is kind of intentional for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I have no idea why that would be the case, like why they would go that route. I think to keep him from sleeping with her at the time. Because he's like, oh, I can't do Okay, yeah. So he's like constantly reminded of his of his. Is it his wife? Is just his girlfriend, right? Well, they were together at the beginning, and then we find that they've separated because he thinks he's with the guy at the bank. Okay. And, uh, oh, and, jo- he, and he gets Long? that message, yeah. Because at the beginning, we we feel they're having like relationship issues because he's on the phone with her and she's talking about being at a bar. He's like, "Don't you talk to nobody." And he, and he's gonna leave to go, and then they get the alien signal, and then we just figure from that that yeah. they broke up. Yeah, since he is in since uh, as I forgot he was in Mexico for Something. like you know like three months. Yeah. Like it's... <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I guess like Terry Polo's yeah. in this movie, but not she doesn't really take effect till like it's almost over. Well, yeah, because once you kill you know her off, you have to get back yeah. to like someone else for to team up with. Get over here. <laughs> <laughs> this does play up some Hitchcockian suspense as far as what they're going for. You, I yeah. mean, you know the scorpion's there. They're constantly looming as a threat. Mm-hmm. You wonder whether or not it's going to work out or what have you. And then it does, and it's sad because you just lost, like, the other smart character in this movie that knows what's going on. Yeah, they just recently got back in. You know, she was there earlier, and you think there's going to be this team-up, and all they really did was greet each other and she finds that goatee irresistible 
according to the IMDb trivia page, that kind of scorpion is actually kind of mostly harmless. Yeah. Usually the insects and stuff they use in these movies are. Like, they yeah. look terrifying, but they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just watched um, Arachnophobia with uh, with Anna and my friend Scooter a couple weeks ago, and uh, they the, the spiders they use in that movie, they look like they're pretty deadly, but they're not. They're like the most harmless version of a spider you could have gotten to have them festing up, you know, all over that, that movie. Also, Arachnophobia, still a lot of fun. That's a fun movie. Yeah. And it features a Jimmy Buffett song called Don't Bug Me, written exclusively for the film. Oh, my God. It is quite the song. It'd be great if he was running away from the spiders holding um, margaritas, though. Be, oh. I assume that's what he does when they request it at his concerts. He runs away with them while singing that song. <laughs> We haven't talked much this. about the we haven't talked about about the uh, the alien plot in this movie, which I think is actually pretty clever. Like as and it and it you know Man of Steel is where this movie got its inspiration for. I mean, it's uh, Man of Steel is heavily inspired by the Arrival because it's about terraforming, like as opposed to just taking over just because or whatnot. The whole like idea is that these aliens are here to terraform Earth and then take it over. So it's like they already have a segment of the population of their alien force here. And they're just like waiting to make it, make it, you know, better for them to survive there. And then they're like, okay, then we'll take over. That's a, (laughs) it's a neat approach instead of just like, let's come in and blow everything up or let's come in and I don't know. We want their gold like cowboys and aliens, which is of course heavily inspired by the arrival. Um, And they will, (laughs) they will eventually succeed. And uh, a few families will get off, get out of there and like generations down the line from one of those families will be a man named Riddick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how it works. And all they'll, they'll one of the people will be the like person who's made all the glasses that Charlie Sheen wears. People wear in this film and they just have boxes and boxes of those for their currency. So that's like, you know, where they'll evolve and come from this. All the kids will know of is the glasses and then there's just Riddick. That's what are other movies that use scorpions as a threat? Uh, Scorpion King. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you Only Live Twice. Was that a scorpion? Um, no, what am I thinking of? That, I think, was a... Was that a spider or was that... I don't remember. Well, Doctor No, they use a tarantula. I don't know how often they go maybe back I'm, to the spider well in Doctor and James Bond. Yeah, Live and Let Die has a snake uh-huh. that they do that with. Um, with, uh, with what's her name? <laughs> the worst Bond girl. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, yeah. So good we can't remember her name. Rosie. Rosie. Gloria Hendry. Yep. But, like, Scorpion seems like a pretty, you know, a pretty unique-looking threat, right? And it just mm-hmm. appears deadly. I'm surprised it's not a thing that, like... I'm sure the Mummy movies have that, both old and the newer ones had somewhere along the line. A Scorpion-esque threat. Yeah. But it just seems that's something that's, like, inherently scary in addition to spiders and other bugs. Like, it doesn't... Mm-hmm. Oh, Drive, of course. He's wearing that jacket. Oh, yeah. 
in the in the IMDb keyword search for Scorpion, the first three movies, this is amazing. Number three is Arrival, so Arrival's big up there. It's Scorpion. <laughs> number two is Drive, and number one is Gods of Egypt. Oh, Booyah. Skyfall has Scorpions apparently because it's on the list. I'm trying to where are the Scorpions? And Skyfall? Scorpions and Skyfall. There's Komodo dragons. I know that. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's when it's when he's like he's getting he's recovering and he's like in he's like drinking in the bar like the drinking contest at the bar. Like it's oh. early on in the movie. Okay. Because he like he drinks a shot like with a scorpion on the shot or something like that, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's James Bond. <laughs> and she's dead. Okay, that was sad. <laughs> but she deserved to die if she's that dense. She couldn't see the 30 scorpions in her bedroom. If you're not looking for them. There's that periscope again. Charlie Sheen is great with that prop. Here's his climbing. Die Another Day has scorpions? Oh, it has it in the in the torture scene. Yep. Like the whole Madonna yeah, no, the fire, torture like, opening yeah. sequence. Yeah. Love how he's jamming more... while he does this. Yeah, wouldn't you want uh, to be able to hear if there are any guards or anyone coming up like that? No, he's just still listening to Alice in Chains. He's still listening to Alice in Chains. That's what he's doing. They come to call the rooster. Number 19 <laughs> is the Scorpion King on this list, by the way. It took 19 entries before he got to that one. <laughs> the, mummy, the Mummy Returns came up before the Scorpion King did. Gosh. Anchorman 2. So there's bowling balls and scorpions and their RV when they flip over. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Spawn, past commentary, has scorpions mm-hmm. in it, apparently. This is Mortal Kombat on the Yes! <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got there yet. I don't see oh, it. Oh, wow. Oh, that's expansive. Doesn't CBS have a show called Scorpion? Does that show up? Yes, it did, yeah, with Robert Patrick. Oh, I assume it's still on. It's been on for like seven years. That's just how I think CBS works. Yeah. Hey, if they if they solve the mystery every week, then it's gonna be on forever. Diamonds are forever has scorpions. Um. I'd probably like Mr. Kid, right? They probably use scorpions. Yeah, sometime. I would imagine. Like what? Where else would that be? Honestly, in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I like he just trips over himself right there. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at this weird like satellite that just protrudes out of the ground right now. This steampunk satellite dish. He just gave a good movie, oh my god, by the way, as he was looking up oh, at nothing while filming, of course. <laughs> right. The taxi driver was in on it, too. I knew it the whole time. I guess like you have to if like the aliens are connected in some way, I guess is another question I always have about this. It doesn't go deep enough into it to determine it. Especially if you have like the kid who we're questioning, or you have other characters like do they all know that Charlie Sheen's investigating this kind of thing, or are they keeping track? Like the old man seems to have him clocked right away once he gets into Mexico. I, I was like hoping the... for another jumping scene. <sighs> I like the uh, the scanner thing where they, you can see yeah. like the aliens' faces. Mm-hmm. They fly by. 
I like this whole sequence because obviously, you know, you're getting a lot of reveals, but I like how it, it gradually shows you mostly throughout without dialogue too. Like, there's, I don't think Charlie Sheen says much of anything for most of this whole sequence. No. It's, very, it's a very right. visual learning period of like what these aliens are and stuff. Well, I don't know what he would say other than like, man, this is heavy, right? I mean, <laughs> what, what is he going to add to the scene with dialogue? Well, you can well, have, like, you're going to have a bunch of those. My God. <laughs> you have to get to that file. Yeah, yeah, you get a lot of <laughs> exasperated looks from him instead. Uh, which, to be fair, makes a lot of sense. Number 50 is the curse of the Jade Scorpion. Oh, okay. <laughs> Scorpion King 2 Rise of a Warrior starring Randy Couture is at number 52. Oh. <laughs> Got two more of those to get through. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know why they even have stairs. They could just jump wherever they need to be. They don't want to show off. Oh, okay. They're very modest. They gotta be. They gotta have it They're for like their Pazuzu. human form. Like <laughs> Pazuzu. <laughs> but again, like so, they they must not be at like a hive mind. They're not that kind of alien, or else because it's like Charles Sheets like bumping his way around things, and people are like, "Huh, that's weird." For my fellow alien friend, I guess that's no worries though. I'll just move, keep moving. Do 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 do. The helmet looks awfully high on Charlie Sheen's head, but then I remember that's right—he has spiky hair. You could have Char- <laughs> you could have Charlie Sheen dialogue right here, like, "What are they up to?" It seems like there's been some kind of arrival. <laughs> <laughs> and there doesn't need to be a title drop in this movie. For being this movie, I'm surprised there isn't a title drop actually. <laughs> What would be uh, best if he says there's been some kind of arrival, and as he's saying it, he t- slowly takes off his glasses. Oh, yeah. Well, if David Caruso was cat, if he wasn't making Jade, and he was making this movie, which I'm <laughs> sure this, this, both scripts came by his desk, and he's like, Jade it is. Talking, they're talking <laughs> about arrivals, and he's like, but that's not the arrival we're, we're waiting on. <laughs> there we go. Here's a total recall shot. Mm-hmm. Man on an elevator walking, looking at this giant thing. And we passed some kind of like fart cloud just then. I know. Why is he reaching out? He wants to see what the fart cloud feels like. Oh, my helmet. Yeah. Well, now he'll stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Look, there's no one in his helmet. He's an intruder. Get him. Safety first with us arrival aliens. I like to think there's some kind of, like, chart that like, lists the things you're supposed to do and not do in this area. And they have little pictures of, of aliens, like, doing stuff. <laughs> Keep your zeepzorp out of the gazorpnop. And he's in the lobby. <laughs> so it's like a level from Goldeneye. Yeah. yeah. Or like Halo or something. Perfect Dark. There you go. That I'll go with that. Let's go with Perfect Dark. <laughs> They're in <laughs> Area 52. Mm-hmm. It must be... Uh... 
summer because they're wearing the red jumpsuits. Yeah. It's yellow day at the Apple store in Mexico right now, though. Let's go for this metal avocado, see what's going on here. Scott, what were other, like, kind of sci-fi movies in this vein that were coming out around this time, you know, offhand? Um... Because obviously we have like bigger fare, like Independence Day was obviously, and, and basically yeah. Emmerich, Emmerich was cornering the market, it seemed, with Stargate and <laughs> Independence Day with this kind of thing. Well, I think even in 1996, a movie like this was kind of rare in that it was, you know, a pure sci-fi picture, obviously, but it still was something rooted in, you know, ideas. I mean, you know, for example, in 1996, the only sci-fi alieny movies we got were Mars Attacks, ID4, and this. Mm. You know, we got a Body Snatchers movie set in a naval base in 1994. We got Men in Black in summer of 97. And Contact, and obviously. We had a lot of Body Snatchers-type alien movies, like the Faculty, you know, Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was part of the sort of the, you know, the black helicopters are coming to get us. Nobody's who you think they are type even, paranoia. Even like the X-Files Not, movie. Yeah, so. X-Files-type paranoia. Yeah, this movie fits very much in that X-Files <laughs> vein as well. Um, That's probably what it capitalized off of, if X-Files being a very popular show at the time. Right. The, that that probably helped. Yeah, that whole conspiracy, oh, yeah. 90s conspiracy thing playing into yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you have Contact, which was a much bigger movie the next summer. But again, even in 1996, I specifically remember this film being held up by Ebert and others who were fond of it as being you know, a smarter, more idea-driven picture than we were used to seeing out of what you consider Hollywood sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, you know, almost half-jokingly, I would say that, you know, The Arrival was the movie that the, you know, the hardcore antisocial film, they're saying, oh, ID4 was okay, but The Arrival is really sci-fi. <laughs> um... <laughs> I guess tw- 12 Monkeys would be another one I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. That was time you travel, were... yeah. But it's pretty hard sci-fi yeah. for, and, and like blockbustery because it did it made a lot of it, 12 Monkeys was a successful movie. Oh, no, yeah. That was a very successful picture. Academy yeah. Award oh, nomination like, for Brad Pitt, too. The 94, which was you know the same year as the other Body Snatchers movie. So you did have a lot of alien forces taking over people and gee, your friend might not be your friend type body horror. <coughs> This, um, this hold on. This, al- this this alien set seems very elaborate. If they have to shoot like a giant bullet from one hole to another yes. as part of their process, <laughs> it seems like there would be easier ways to do whatever they're trying to accomplish here. Like build like build an entire tunnel and not just have it loop off so it has to shoot its way over to one side to another. <laughs> yeah, just have a tunnel, not four of them or whatever it is. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. I like how they have an alarm button. Like, there's nothing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's yeah. the only way we can do that. <laughs> but they don't have, like, a radio, you know, to alert security. Or, like, telepathy or anything. It's like, no, we have a blue and red alarm <laughs> sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, they poured all their money into the giant pill shooter. This mm. is, uh, this was their security features. Yeah, but Scott, I guess like the like the my friend's not my friend type movie is more rooted in horror as opposed to like yes. kind of traditional sci-fi. 
And, you know, it, and I, it, su- it, I suspect that those uh, after this election, that that uh, theme will be popping up a bit more in movies again. Well, even before, I mean, you already have what's it? Um, like kind of paranoia thrillers might be coming back where you have like a what's it? Um, Jordan Peele's horror movie coming. Oh, up yeah. That's racially yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that looks scary as hell. It does. Um, but I remember, you know, you know, it, 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 it's it's. You know, we've been having the, ooh, the kind of movie Hollywood doesn't make anymore conversation for about as long as Hollywood's been making movies. Mm. I mean, yeah. I, I think there is a certain, no, obviously there is a certain change in terms of what constitutes a mainstream film, 10, 15, 20 years and so forth, but we're always going to be having that conversation. And even in 1996, this felt like an outlier. Hmm. One day there will be a superhero movie, and someone will say, "Oh, they don't make them like this anymore." <laughs> okay, hold hold on now, because here here is another scene of Charlie Sheen needing to get his clothes off so he can yes get, he can make his way through a scene. But it also comes is he wet? Is he sweating? Probably because he has to put he has to go through the like the alien changer shifter thing to give himself a new disguise. Yep, he's wet. He's wet. He's glistening. Oh yeah, he's yeah he's glistening. So, like, so this is the best makeup work in the film right here, where he has to wear like this yeah. mask over his face. So now he looks like Carlos Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> the thing this reminded me of most was a deleted scene from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where Bob Hoskins gets like a pig man mask stuck on his face. <laughs> yeah. Mainly because he has to like rip this thing off his face eventually, and it made, it made me get like very strange deja vu involving that. <laughs> look at the ma- look at that. That's like the Terminator level makeup right there to make that face work. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like Cro Magnum man. <laughs> this looks like a friend of Caveman Lawyer in the TV series that never got off the ground. <laughs> L caveman lawyer. Yes. Uh, it's his tactic for talking to the alien. I'll just shake it off. Yeah, the first time he's like, huh? No. I don't look people in the eyes, man. I, I love yeah. that he can't just push the guy off. He needs to let him know that this is who I am before killing him. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns into Dark Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do find it kind of interesting that you have your top build star, and let's be honest, the only reason this movie made money overseas looking like a completely unknown actor for at least a decent chunk of the climax. Well, it's not even the climax. It's like, no, it's... <laughs> we still have a lot of movie yeah. left. <laughs> well, I'm aware into the third act. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a long third act. I yeah. mean, it's still... I mean, oh, yeah, we... back already? Never mind. Yeah. He's going to rip this whole thing off. He's still got to go pick up the kid. He has to get back to the United States. <laughs> and Terry Polo returns, too. 
Yes. Okay. I would have liked to see the scene where they arrest him, but I guess we just cut straight to him yeah. at the police station. Just take their own face. This uh, police captain looks like he's had way too many jobs to handle. Mm -hmm. He needs to clean his hands. He's got a sink at the back. It's a, it's, 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 it's it's all it doubles as his both captain's headquarters and studio apartment. Right. <laughs> He's got four walls, man. He's living large. God, we're still in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's most of this movie. It doesn't you don't think of it, but Yeah. Um... Stop yelling at me, sir. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> Maybe you should go to a higher uh, ranking uh, official other than the local police department in this Mexico town. Well, did he go to them or was he arrested? Oh, um, well, I mean, he didn't I mean, seem he... to be arrested because the guy in charge just, well, I guess he did lock him in. Well, up? yeah. I don't think he's arrested, no, because, he, yeah, he's not like. <laughs> It's. I He's in he the cell. Yeah. Yeah, he He's went to him. He went and but but like the 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 captain's talking about reports of seeing like or like a, a white man driving away from a scene of a crime. Hmm. Oh. She died with her hand clasped in. The... Yeah, that's kind of messed up. They had to like mangle her body to make it look like she was yeah. mm -hmm. ran over by him. But he's gone. <laughs> he ruined the captain's studio apartment, that's for sure. <laughs> Open Go up the over. back of your bus! It's Go okay, I'm white. Fine, I can just... <laughs> and you know it joke it's worth it alone and so here's where a huge time gap com time gap comes in because like it's presumably like a, a a month or so later before he actually gets back to the united states since he just hitchhiked his way to the border and he's on the run yeah how deep in mexico was he deep enough Um, that's his incognito look, clearly. <laughs> All black trench coat in the summer heat. He's like wacky glasses. Strung out Neo, basically. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, the Matrix, as you know, was heavily inspired by the arrival. <laughs>
But he, like this is where he's like he he's a lot more frustrated and like jumpy than <laughs> compared to the beginning mm-hmm. of the film, which makes sense. But like now he's like he's more of the sheen I tend to know now. Yeah. And he has a lot more stubble to really round out the the whole facial hair motif he's got going. And you can just tell he smells. <laughs> just... Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> he is unkempt. He has a Milky Way in his pocket, apparently, <laughs> and something on his finger. Let's assume it's a Jolly Rancher. There's some gun politics commentary right there, apparently. <laughs> A real crime. No one seems to be disturbed by this, like, shockingly unkempt man walking around with the director <laughs> of their building. <laughs> Are we hiring the homeless now? Ah. You take him to a baseball game? (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't have his glasses anymore, so he can't pitch. There's two jokes in that one. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the movie does um, because we're talking about the whole like global warming is a big part of it. Again, this movie there's a lot of just some socially conscious things in this movie that are actually fairly timely. Uh, But the movie it does play up the fact that these characters are constantly like sweating and they're hot because the world's being warmed up by these aliens. And, you know, our own pollution. But the aliens. (laughs) Terraforming. Oh, we talked over my line too. My other favorite line in this movie is like when he he asks like Ron Silver how he is, and then he tells us like I feel like a bunch of smashed assholes because <laughs> he like had to ride he had to ride like a Mexican rodeo for a month or whatever to get back to the United States. Yes, I remember. Okay, I remember that. Taking this camera, it's mine now. Hi. <laughs> this is the least concerned security guard possible for that. A man just like violently ripped out a piece of equipment from this place, and he's like, "Hey, do you want me to take care of that, boss?" <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I heard, I heard there was a real crime up here. You uh, think we should know? All right. And then he jumps. Ah, crap. Ah. I've just been squatting in your house, guys. Okay. 
Sideways hat. It's back. Yeah. See, now he is full alien, though. So it's like now, mm-hmm. like presumably he is like completely alien now. If he wasn't before, he definitely is now. So it's neat to kind of think of the movie that way, I guess. So is so the original kid is he dead then or what? Because well, but, so because we don't have a reason to think we don't we we don't know if the if there's a original version of these things. I guess is a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of tell. I mean, presumably, if they did replace him with an alien version of him, then yeah, he's, he'd be dead. Like, there's no reason to keep him around. They killed Richard Schiff. Mm-hmm. They could do anything. Um, which makes me actually wonder why did they replace Richard Schiff with an alien version of Richard Schiff? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so is there are there even original versions, or do they just make molds that look like Ron Silver and this random little bit little kid? I would love if uh, Charlie Sheen would come back home and then Ryan Silver was just dressed as this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, in the Arrival reboot that I'm sure is in the works, they will embrace these <laughs> ideas more. <laughs> they'll have, like, just like they have Dogface Man Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they'll have something crazy like that with Richard, Richard Schiff and Ron Silver's features on this tiny black kid. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have to have, like, the arrival colon something. The, For the, uh, hmm. the arrival, the age of silver. The arrival, <laughs> the arrival, ascension. Don't call it resurgence. That won't help anyone. Terry Polo. Another pants changing scene for Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As she cosplays Fred from Scooby Doo. It's great. <laughs> You're a fugitive. My man David Tui co wrote the screenplay on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's all about the man on the run, isn't he? Man on the run. There's an arrival too, the second arrival. Is it called the second arrival? Yes, it's called the arrival too, the second arrival. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that is a a uh, four fifty five on a Friday title for a movie. <laughs> okay, so it's it's called it's officially called Arrival Two, like numerical, like uh, Roman numeral two, but the original title was The Second Arrival. Just that alone. Mm. It starred Patrick Muldoon from Starship Troopers. A natural Charlie Sheen replacement. Well, in this in this sequel, apparently uh, Zane Zeminski was found dead in a remote Eskimo community. That's the first sentence in the. Oh, the they stated like... they stated the union did. <laughs> well, that just makes me excited for the arrival three, the return the of Zane, Zane Zeminski. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Zander Zone. <laughs> oh no, his hat. Yeah, how's he gonna? That's how you know he's an alien. Whoa, yeah. hey! I, uh... <laughs> I don't know what to think about the kid now. He doesn't have his hat anymore. 
<laughs> an alien is a human who knows. He's clearly up to no good. Oh, the wrecking crew's here. <laughs> it's just not in time, though. <laughs> I like to think the aliens, have, the aliens have cute nicknames like for that, like each other. <laughs> the wrecking crew is what they go with. <laughs> Reading the opening paragraph to The Second Arrival, there's actually a plausible way to make that movie work. It's probably just horrible still, but I do like the setup. I'm never going to watch it, but you know. It came out the very next I am curious. The director of Arrival 2 is uh, Kevin Tenney. Oh, okay. Night of the Demons. Yeah, Night of the Demons Witchboard. Pinocchio's Revenge. You could you could never buy oh, God. <laughs> you could never buy Arrival two by itself. You had to buy it with a double feature with the first Arrival. With what? With the first Arrival, it was only available on DVD and a. I'm sure on VHS by itself, but. And I'm sure they're both they're renamed to the first Arrival and the second Arrival. <laughs> it was the Arrival and Arrival two. And don't worry, they had a satellite on the on the box. Thank God. Well, the Blu-ray, I assume, is just like a large satellite case with like the the bolt, the base underneath is where you put the Blu-ray yes. discs. That's what they should. For yes. Those, for those arrival completionists. <laughs> it's shaped like the alien's head, and they just like flip the back of it open. The the little back flaps or whatever. Terry Polo is going for the Laura Dern and Jurassic Park look now. Yeah. <laughs> Complete with neckerchief. In Brazil, it was called Invaso. So this is our third act. We get this. Yep. We get all this stuff. He sure looks like Charlie Sheen too. Uh huh. Well, they're on their tail fast. Well, Terry Polo called it in. Yeah. Traitor. No, the kid called it in. Oh, the kid. Okay, but they showed us. They showed her hanging up the phone before getting well, out of the car it, to make us think. It's a red. It, it's a red herring. Yeah, she. She was calling about the time and temperature. She went or, to grab her a, gum and bumped the phone off the hook and was just replacing it. Or a red snapper, as Timothy Oliphant calls it in David Toohey's The Perfect Getaway. There we go. He is sweating a lot in this movie. Have you noticed that? Like his shirts are always well, have like sweat stains, but nobody else's well, do. You know, yeah, that it does. It's not very consistent. It's the with paranoia. The, the aliens because are heating up aliens. the planet. The aliens are. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh oh, somebody. Cut that cord. Oh no, the wrecking crew's here. <laughs> They're behind the other blinds. This guy screwed up my house. There's a lot of blinds in that room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking out the others. I love he just looked out another window and the aliens were playing like hopscotch. Charlie was on scene. He's like, you know, I, I think Zane would just keep looking out blinds, David. 
know, I think that's who he is. <laughs> it's like he's opening his blinders to the world. What's your favorite David Tui film? Just curious. Mm, probably this by default. Hmm. I've watched Pitch Black the most. I'd probably, I'd, I'd say Pitch Black, I guess. It has more shortcomings, but I do. I think the Diesel character. I mean, it fueled two sequels and a bunch of fan fiction. <laughs> so I mean, it, it did something right. I thought that. Riddick was fun. It's fun, yeah. I wouldn't say it's it's best, no. but I, I think that the first like third of Riddick's pretty fantastic because it's just him, right? Like just. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's him surviving, and then it's just like a, a hardcore version of the first one. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Complete with Dave Batista. Batista. Uh, Look at this action sequence right yeah. here. He's fighting off a guy. But... <laughs> the Wrecking Crew. Can we count The Fugitive? Because if we can count The Fugitive, then I vote. Well, yeah, as a writer, he has yeah. a few more credits to his name, including an early draft of Alien 3. So instead of blood, the aliens have gas. Is that what I understand? Well, like the oh, he did the jump move. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I think it's because the the planet's not like hot enough yet for them, so their bodies can't like they need the skin on top so they can contain the. I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting lost just talking about this. <laughs> That'll hold him. <laughs> Below's a good flick, too, by the way. Below's a good... That one I never saw. Good creepy sub-movie. It's got a great cast. Bruce Greenwood, Holt McCallany, Zach Galifianakis in a random role. Two out of four leads from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Now she she doesn't know who to trust. Yeah. See, he's still. Do you think he's an alien right now? Kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, see now, like the only logic I have now is to go back to Richard Schiff. Like, why if they if they if they could take out people and turn them into or like make them like replication of their bodies to put skin over the aliens yeah. why wouldn't they re- why wouldn't they redo Richard Schiff and how many Ron Silvers can they make like well Ron Silver as we all know is an eternal uh, being so I mean one form or another you're gonna get a Ron Silver I'm pretty sure the basis of the second arrival is about all the Ron Silver molds all over the world <laughs> arrival to uh, silver, Char- silver Ronnings <laughs> If Charlie Sheen doesn't stab someone with a screwdriver and say, you, you're screwed, it's a real missed opportunity. <laughs> Gotta find a way to get our action scene on the satellite. 
I like how the, the you know the middle of this movie was set in Mexico and had lots of use of that locale. This third act is just like let's do as much as we can around this like random little shack in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Found you. <laughs> <laughs> just we turned our heads. Nope, he tossed a screwdriver. Yep, uh, yeah. No one's getting screwed now. Damn it. <laughs> Well, if we can get one more jumping scene, that'll be fine. Oh, there's plenty of jumping to go, or there's plenty of like knee bending to go around. They have, they have a run out, they have a run out of those effects. Ah, oh, the keys. Oh, the keys. <laughs> oh, the other half of the wrecking crew. <laughs> this is for my science room. Oh, wow, there he's going for it with the hands on the thing. Oh, there's more hands. Oh, not the local antenna control. Oh, he's got to press the red button. Oh, look at that Sheen reaction right there. He doesn't know what to do. Look <laughs> <laughs> at that face. Oh, my God, there's more of it. Fix the levels. Oh, turn knobs. Push buttons up. Here we go. Updating Skype. No! <laughs> Look out! Poorly paid extras are trying to get in. We were told we'd be served lunch. Wait, the kid got in there with him? <laughs> no, he's still in the other room. Okay. Because like, right. he said, when, when my face is on the screen, press press the red button. We can only afford to show their arms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah his name's Kiki, by the way, which always humors me. <laughs> How Kiki... What is this supposed to do when he hits this button, by the way? <laughs> Send a signal of some sort. Like a signal. Is he calling in the space cavalry? Well, I guess it's supposed to send the video that he recorded, but because the end of the movie, the video gets out anyway. Because mm. he just does it differently. It's a weird climax, I guess. If the kid was an alien, why was he standing there? Why wouldn't he just like, well, forget it and just walk away? Well, because they're not a hive mind, maybe this particular alien just got really caught up in the excitement and just was like, I want to see where this goes. <laughs> it's his first. It's his first day. It's the... Smoke break. They're all on a smoke break outside.
this is pretty clever. The the gag that they're going for here. How he rigs this thing up to take care of possible alien threat. But I guess, yeah, it's just too hot for them to be in regular alien appearance because of the sun, yet they're trying to warm up the planet to make it more hospitable. That's a double <laughs> thing. Oh. Oh. He almost got axed. Oh, there we go. Now he's, now he's freezing the aliens. <laughs> I assume Frank Welker got paid a lot for this scene. <laughs> was one of the, he probably did all the sound effects in that entire scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think he's just the vocals, but no, no, no. He's everything. Yeah, he's a, he's a regular Michael Winslow when it comes to alien movies. <laughs> Because I believe he's all the aliens in Mars Attacks, too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've never witnessed this, but people in the industry said, you know, they'll be, you know, he'd come in and do all of the sound effects for a single scene. Even, you oh, know, yeah. but things, you know, natural sounds, fire, dialogue, machine gun fire, everything. Look at this uh, mannequin challenge that the arrival's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just to date the podcast. <laughs> you mean for the three weeks it'll be a thing? Why is he waiting? Just do it. I guess he needs a tape. We can still chop him up and then take the we tape. To, to set the stakes here. <laughs> oh, it's a bigger one. <laughs> How'd that slip out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're frozen it in place. Where's that damn kid? Nope. He didn't. He didn't want to get in the van. Everybody else. Frozen Ron Silver kind of looks like Robert Joy. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Maybe don't touch the weird globe that the aliens just dropped off. I mean, that that's <laughs> probably a good idea. Yeah, they're nailing the mannequin challenge, guys. They're crushing that one over there. <laughs> So the only exit to this building is climbing up through the satellite, yes. apparently, right? That's the other That's the other thing. Yeah, what's their plan for that fly away? I, well, I think we there's like deleted scenes that show them both uh, as professional carabiners so they can like climb down on the rope that they have in their pockets. He still hasn't gotten to Ron Silver's pockets yet. They spin off a phantasm, those balls. I'm just waiting for the Cinnabites to show up. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> getting, in, getting in there. Why does he just chop the hell out of him? He has the axe. 
that doesn't have the handle. He's not. He's not an. He's not an axe man. He's a screwdriver guy. <laughs> yeah, and he wears no. Old Spice. <laughs> I love basic filmmaking like that. Where it's like just shoot most of the ball, and then you can hide the thing without having to use special effects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now it has eyes? <laughs> Ball vision. Ball vision. There we go. This is my favorite next to Anaconda vision. <laughs> huh. Let me piece that together fast. Oh, ball spin, things go. Okay. Huh. And is someone controlling the ball or it just knows what to do? I think it just knows what yeah. to do. I think it's an occupied space type thing once it activates. The real question is if Arrival 3, the return of Zane, of Zane, Zane Sabitsky, is going to answer where the ball goes once everything disappears. Hmm. Huh. Here's oh, the axe. Thank Arrival 2? What about it? Problem. What? Well, he dies in Arrival 2. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, he dies in Arrival 2. Uh, no, he makes out like a Jay Hernandez in Austin, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the kids aren't having his fun playing soccer with his head in that one, though. I <laughs> this uh, movie was also a heavy influence on uh, Cable Guy. Yep. They they competed for release dates. <laughs> My shoes. Are you gonna lose a shirt again? No, surprisingly, no. Actually, no. <laughs> this is this is the one scene where his shirt actually survives. He's wearing two shirts in this scene. That's why, yeah. He, he, was, he was double protecting. After the Mexican rodeo he had to suffer through, this... <laughs> he was like, I'm going to wear more shirts. <laughs> so the rival is also the um, the inspiration for Ben Affleck-directed movies as well. The uh, topless mm-hmm. scenes from the lead actor. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Be really... I've seen satellites blow up before, but I haven't seen this before, which is pretty cool. Like, I, I like the idea of like an implosion that like mm-hmm. just destroys the innards and like twists the satellite. Like that's that's pretty neat. All right, now push the red button. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie's like, you know, it'd be really cool if when you know I popped out of that, I didn't have my shirt on because it was like a struggle, right? And I was hot and sweaty. <laughs> Two, he's like, nope. We'll give you some holes in the pants, and that's it. One shoe, one sock. Yeah, he kept one sock. He just got unhooked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he has some good sheen. Have you seen my glasses? No. (laughs) This this is sheen now after a regular weekend. Yeah. (laughs) He gets super sheen when he starts yelling at um, Kiki here. Can you fly, Kiki? (laughs) 
I didn't want it to be like this. I forgive you. <laughs> I've got this tape of footage that everyone's surely gonna believe. It's good to know that Sheen's final moments in this movie are tough talking a black kid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you see, look at the, the the backwards knees. The backwards knees are so awkward to see someone running with them. It's like... <laughs> like, I, I appreciate that they have to have some kind of different um, physicality to humans, but it's just... It's so goofy. It's just so goofy. It's the uh, Ghost in the Shell marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, I, so, I, I mean, the movie does end ambiguously to a point. Like, it's it's almost like, what is it, like, the howling. <laughs> it's like, well, we'll show you something on the news. <clears throat> I guess you're supposed to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Truth is out there. What will you do with it, public? Although the howling is more con, there's more context with the howling. This is just like, hey, my TV's been interrupted by a random broadcast involving some guy I don't know talking to some other guy I don't know about things that I'm not quite sure. That's about. what I'm saying. What that footage isn't like, like it's not really damning. No. Like, it's just like, oh, okay. yeah. And also, are they in a television bunker? Where that? What the hell was that? Well, they they found the next convenient satellite and did the same thing they planned to do the first time, I guess. <laughs> like the guy, it's like the footage like amounts to like, yeah, I put maple syrup on my mashed potatoes. What are you gonna do? Oh no, <laughs> those monsters! That was the arrival. Guys. Hey, set decorator Enrique Estevez. Oh, there you go. Oh my God. They're everywhere. Cousin Enrique. Enrique Sanchez. That's eh, nothing. Never mind. The, Ignore the, me. Uh, the Covaro Gubas uh, Grip Brothers. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but to be fair, you know, like we said, well, like two thirds of this movie takes place in Mexico, so you're gonna get these names. Yeah, I'm looking at this cat. Yeah, it's like it's a lot of a. Uh... Frank Pepe Morel. <laughs> and Ford A. Thaxton. Made <laughs> up. So, uh, so looking at on the Wikipedia, it says the Laserdisc release includes the commentary, documentaries, and an alternate and alternate endings. Oh, oh wow! I need, I need to see. You could probably Man, get I'm that gonna... Laserdisc for like the, two bucks. The arrival, Brand new. alternate endings. Let's see if you maybe YouTube has our answer for this. I assume it ends with some kind of uh, jumping contest, and whoever wins <laughs> uh, controls the Earth. Or at the very end, uh, Charlie Sheen finds his glasses like, finally, 
been blind as a bat for a month. Yeah, we really just kind of—he really just kind of looks over this. Apparently, like he doesn't have his glasses that were made up, like his his you know his face for like the like half the movie, and we just never really do do much about that. Roberto Blasini, who Tito? Oh, I know Tito. Okay. Okay. Well, having watched this movie multiple times in the past week, I do like this movie. <laughs> like, I do think it holds no, up. No, it's well. fine. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's not, you know, it's not like a cult classic. It, it doesn't have much, like, fanfare behind it, but it was good for its time, and it still kind of does what it does well. Probably, I don't you Probably know. cut 10 minutes out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When yeah, cut Brand- down the Mexico yeah. stuff. Like, they're in Mexico. Yeah, Hot. definitely. <laughs> when Brandon asked me uh, about this commentary, I said, well... It's better than contact, so sure, I'll do it. I'm a, I'm a contact. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't. I'll disagree. But y'all are weird. It's shorter than contact. <laughs> <laughs> the computer film company. Okay. We got the name first. Well, yeah, that's I mean that's that's the end of the that's the end of Arrival. <laughs> We've now that now that Arrival and the Arrival exists, um, I'm happy we were able to talk at length about at least one of those films. <laughs> one will prob- probably be uh, remembered a lot more than the other. Well, we'll just see. We'll see what kind of flaming gory Charlie Sheen goes out in first before we make any kind of broad pronouncements like that. <laughs> Just wait. He announces that he and David Toohey are getting back together for a third Arrival movie. <laughs> to which everyone responds, there is a second Arrival movie? Uh-huh. And then they also respond, there is a first Arrival movie? And then they move to on. To which Patrick there. Muldoon was like, uh, yes. <laughs> it was me. After I got my brain sucked out by the brain bug, <laughs> I went on to make Arrival 2. All right, well, now that we've taken the begrudging amount of time to get to the end of the credits of The Arrival, um, as we wrap up, where should people find uh, more of your guys' work online? Uh, Brandon Peters? Um, Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Uh, CultCinemaCavalcade.com. Um, on Twitter, at CC Cavalcade. It's a, it's a fun little podcast. We're calling it myself discuss movies um that you may or may never about a neil breen lately a lot of neil breen but uh this monday some uh angela lansbury action i'll use the word action lightly um (laughs) well (laughs) there's some definite bathtub action yes unfortunately colin how about you I'm also on uh, Cult Cinema Cavalcade, and I've also been doing uh, some work with the Brother Brother Beer Cast. Uh, you can find that on uh, jlmediatoday.com. Scott Mendelson. Uh, Forbes.com. Uh, the ticket booth, Forbes, et cetera, et cetera. You love it, he hates yeah. it. Go there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can... Uh, you can um... Find me at the code is the All my written reviews and everything else that I do is pretty much over there. Find all the other episodes about now out there in an Abe over at iTunes and Audio Boom. Email us down at And you know, all the other things you can do to be involved with uh, with our with our podcast. Uh Scott, Colin, Brandon, thank you all for joining me today to discuss the arrival. 
Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We did it! We did it. We can cross this one off the list. <laughs> we'll move on. Next, well, next, we'll see what happens next month. We, uh, what's next month? December. Star Wars. Oh, well, <laughs> means we got to do another Star Wars. Yeah. What am I talking about? We got we got, we got some of those Star Wars. The we Clone do. Wars. Yay. Well, uh, we'll see. We'll That's see what happens. That's not a terrible idea. It's, it's not. But I've, Baby, we, the hunt. We certainly have. We have multiple years of Star Wars commentaries to do before we get to the Clone Wars. <laughs> Let alone the have Ewok ever, adventures. I, have we ever done a Star Wars commentary? You weren't you weren't on it, but we did we did the Force of Wait, no, we did um we did um Phantom Menace and uh, A New Hope last yeah. year. You're right, I listened to those. I apologize. Yeah. Yes. So uh, this year we'll we'll either do Attack of the Clones or uh, Empire Strikes Back. You decide, listener. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them is definitely going to be done eventually, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, that's uh that's going to do it for this week's uh bonus commentary track episode for the arrival um so yeah until next time so long and goodbye